Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. So the story goes back that I used to host a lot of uh, guest trainings here in Alexandria, Virginia, and uh, you still have the bragging rights of being the only person that I brought back uh, more than once. So welcome back to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast then for the second time, Inez. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. I always like talking to you, so it's always fun. Yeah, and uh, it's for those people that may be brand new to the Simpson Protocol, can you just kind of kick us off with like a, a thumbnail sketch of what it is and what it's about? Well, what it's about is about the hypnotists stepping back and not having to put their judgment into it and using what we call the superconscious mind, which is just a word, but what I consider the part of the mind that can know anything, find out anything, know, so does everything. So you're not working with just with subconscious, because that's more like your data bank and all the stuff there. This is much bigger. Uh, maybe people would, if you wanted to think about it as a collective unconscious, it could be anything, but it's much more than just the subconscious. And so when you're working with a client, uh, you don't have to do much of anything because the client mind or that part of their mind does everything for you. And it leads the session. All you ever have to do is get them to a, a really nice depth to do the work in. And, and a lot of it is done much easier. All the same old work I used to do, the pressure to cause and, and you know, inner child work and all those things, except they're done in a much simpler way in SP. Yeah, and as someone, I, I use the protocol with my clients, and it's the mechanism, the description that I'd give it sometimes is that you're able to do some of this deep emotional work, and I've heard this phrase from you before, without the client having to vocalize it. So you're working yes. in profoundly deep levels of hypnosis, and uh, at the same time, able to do the work often by way of idiomotor response. It's all interactive simply by finger signals, which is incredible. And for people who have like PTS, and I leave the D off yeah. uh, because I don't think, you know, how I feel about that. But when those kind of traumas, they don't scared to tell you there's so much that they don't want to upload on other people. And they also don't really want to talk about it that much. So um, SP works very well for that. And it works for any kind of trauma. And, and it allows someone to be totally inside with their issue. I haven't got a clue what I'm working on most of the time. I mean, most of them, they'll come in and they'll say, well, I'm anxious or I have depression, you know, something like that. But uh, I won't know the particulars. They don't have to give me their whole life story. Mm -hmm. And the feedback that I've received over the years that I love about it is that oftentimes they're clearing things away that even they weren't consciously aware of they needed to clear away. Oh, yeah, because this goes way beyond your conscious ken. You know, we really don't have much knowing with consciousness. You know that I, when I'm working, you know how analytical I am. I know I'm a little bit, people think I'm a little bit, you know, and open, but <laughs> very analytical at the same time. And for me, what I have to do is I pretty well have to set myself all aside so I don't, uh, and then I figure I'll finally let go. That's how I figured it. <laughs> Yeah. But most people luckily don't have to do that and they can be present while a lot of the stuff is happening and they get all kinds of epiphanies and little, you know, knowings and, and, and things change very quickly. 
Yeah. And I love, by the way, that you've been at this long enough now that it's uh, it's it's profound enough to have its own initials. Rather than being Simpson Protocol, you're calling it SP. <laughs> That's how you know you've arrived when it's uh, when it's got a nickname or it's got an acronym. You know, that's that's how you really get something going, right? <laughs> you get kind of lazy. Do you know how the protocol got named? How's that? Because I didn't have a name for it. You remember when I first started? It was just uh, I was working in Esdale and beyond. Mm-hmm. And uh, pretty soon, some of the students saying, "Oh, you know your protocol, the Simpson protocol," and then it's just stuck. So I thought, well, that sounds good to me. Yeah. (laughs) And just to reference back to rewind the story, uh, you were previously on here with session number seven, which first aired on July 24th, 2014. But who's counting, Uh, though, you know, and for people who want more of a uh, introduction to that process and what it's about, they can jump back to that session. What I wanted to spend some time with you here today was, well, first of all, what have you been up to? Because I know it's kind of that split of I want to chat with you about the protocol, but from the creative mindset and from the inventor's mindset where something kind of takes on a life of its own and then it takes you in different directions. That's kind of what I wanted to spend some time chatting with you today. So what have I done yeah, since? What's new? <laughs> what's new is we did get uh, we started a basic a foundational birth program and the reason it was called foundational birth this is you know we need a foundation when we start with a, a new client and you know we put a foundation from one to ten to make sure that they're in optimum levels of being strong enough to do the work etc so in the birth process uh, it's not just about having the client comfortable which they are because we teach them to go to Esdale and also just leave that part of their body in Esdale and we do all that stuff but we also work around the baby and the foundation it comes in with, the, the family, the siblings, all the stuff. It's just a very integrated process of allowing a great birth and someone to start life off in a very good I love it. I so, love it. So then what's what's kind of the process of that in terms of how you've been doing that? Are you training? Are you working directly with the parents? Are you working directly with others to then instruct the uh, the mother and father? Or how does that yeah, work out? We do that. Yeah. If we're lucky enough to have father join the mother, which sometimes they don't because they believe in the hypnosis process, uh, then we do everything through surrogate through the mother. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, we're quite happy to bring in the family if it's possible. And uh, otherwise, we work everything through the mother as a surrogate. And it's obviously much better for the family, I think, uh, even though the work gets done, uh, if they at least come and join at least one session, you know. So I think you need, we need, depending on the, what the client's uh, fears are and all the issues that are involved, but we usually do five to six sessions. Mm-hmm. And are there any and, stories that come to mind of uh, results uh, of experiences? It's quite, by- young yet. it's quite young yet, but so we've only had a few um, because we've just because it's one of those processes. It doesn't take one session. There's nine right. months involved, so it is a very young thing. And we've had a few, and they are they really get speed speed up. So it's really important that the person tells the doctor that they're doing this because. 
they can go to the hospital and a couple hours later it's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even because not because the birth itself doesn't take hardly any time, but, you know, they go through checking them and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's very easy. And they, of course, no, the trouble is when they're that comfortable, nobody believes it's really happening a lot of the time. So you do have to be very uh, upfront with your um, doctors and nursing or midwives or all that stuff have to be on board because the speed that it happens can be very quick. And yet, you know, there's got built in safeguards. So let's say someone has a birth and it doesn't uh, go up as planned because maybe the baby, uh, for some reason, the woman isn't big enough in the pelvis or God knows, I don't know enough about those things, but mm-hmm. If there's that kind of a reason, then the doctors decide to do that. It does have a built-in mechanism for it to totally um, reprogram it right in person. And I know it sounds terrible, so that they will have pain, but so that they'll know there's something happening. Right, right. Well, that's where I reference. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, so that's kind of an interesting, I think that's about the first uh, birthing thing I've heard of doing that. But I think it was an important safeguard to have. Well, I mean, it's the same as what we would do with working with a client with pain. The the simple statement that, uh, you know, should this need attention, it'll come back and, you know, some sort of safeguard suggestion of if this becomes a scenario that needs your attention, the discomfort will immediately come back as you seek out the appropriate care. And it's where I'd reference, and this is not a slight in any way to anybody, but to point out that the popular hypnobirthing protocol is one example of hypnosis applied to the birthing experience, even back to Dave Elman hypnotherapy. I forget the exact statement if he was just getting them into somnambulism or even going into Esdale, but the experience that from, you know, from Mickey Mongan with hypnobirthing, they're, sort of catchphrase is dehypnotizing the fear, stress, and anxiety out of the process. And by doing so, it allows, yeah. and I may be paraphrasing, it allows normal, healthy moms to have normal, healthy babies. So it's pointing out that would, w- with that phrasing, so with normal, healthy moms, with normal, healthy babies, a much more comfortable experience. So where there may be something out of the ordinary, where there may be some specific reason where C-section is necessary. But there's something to be said about, uh, I love that aspect of getting into those profoundly deep states and letting the body work as it should. Yes, and that really works well. And uh, the few people that have done it so far have been very happy, happy, happy with it. So that's you know that's all you can do now we just have to let it run because it's going to take a few years to get that sort of background that mickey has right right except we've just taken it further as a more familial and and, and a foundation because we're working on the child and all kinds of stuff because you know my ideas about when you come into life sometimes your foundation isn't as strong as you think it would be mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah yeah so I'm, I'm curious from the oh what's that Sorry, I was just going to say, we now uh, just doing my first French training next week. So we're in six languages now. That's exciting for me. Outstanding. So, uh, <laughs> so that's what's happening here. I go from to Geneva tomorrow, and then after that I go to Brazil. So we have it in Portuguese and French, Dutch, and German, English, of course, and Polish so far. Outstanding. So I'm curious from the from the creation, from the discovery, from the uh, uh, inventor mindset, 
was mm-hmm. it this journey then of taking that original process and going, how do I bring this more wide, wide uh, appeal? Or is it aspects of it that you discovered and then realized, oh, we can take it in this direction? So really, was yeah. it was a desire to build it into something bigger or was it more of a discovery of, oh, we can also use this? No, yeah, it was more of a discovery of where sideways you wanted to go, because I, I think SP can do, deal with anything and everything. Uh, but I think once you know the basic SP, we have different things that little advanced trainings that we have. Um, one is for a health program, and it's about a process of increasing and being proactive in your health. And we actually combined it. It's very new. So uh, this is another one that's very new, but it's it's been astounding. Because I when I came home from Europe last year, after all the trainings I did, I was pretty wiped out. <laughs> and uh, I had a bit of a health issue at the moment myself then. So I started proactively looking how to improve that. And uh, a friend of mine took me in for um, a you know, presentation on lasers. And I've been a little cynical because I, you know, lots of things that haven't worked very well. But these were astounding. And I, of course, got picked as the guinea pig, which, you know, that happens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jump up and down. Yeah. <laughs> so when I came home, I, I was just really noticing a big change. And then what I thought, well, I can do this with SP. And, of course, I did. And I started doing that with SP. And then I thought, well, and I asked Superconscious Mind, I said, well, would this even be better with the lasers? So now I've combined the it – can. it's a standalone program that you can do without the lasers. But now I've bought the lasers myself to enhance it. And I'm really enjoying that because my own health is improving vastly. Yeah, so give so. me a description of – using the process just for foundational health. I love that as a concept. Well, it is instead of, uh, you know, so we go through the body and, and check out the, all the glandular areas, all the uh, organ, you know, organs and all the other things that they're working at their optimum. And that's not the only thing. Cause I think, you know, when you, when you come into life, it doesn't mean you're already in a, in, in the best place. It's the same as the foundational work. We work at it to um, bring a foundation of health right at the beginning. From my, from my own perspective, I was six months uh, a prim- I was only th- well, I was three months premature, and I don't think I was the healthiest child as a small child, right? So I didn't come into this life in an optimum uh, way. So I think there's a lot of work to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> and especially now I'm getting to be, you know, middle 60s, and it's time to make sure I address that before I get too much older. That that's such a great concept. As uh, I'd share that over the years, as I've worked with clients for specifically, the the best example would be quitting smoking. That the more yeah. the more the process takes the shape of enhancing everything else around them and letting the smoking fall away, the better of a success yes. I've seen with clients. So when it's less about that old problem and more about raising everything up, the way that. Uh, a good nutritionist would work with their client and it's more so about introducing the foods they ought to be eating so they don't get caught up in the old foods so much anymore rather than berating them about the junk but shifting the whole of being really right yeah i love it i love it so we are also have like medical addition to that if you know if people have an illness that they want to proactively work on that's always i mean because we do work on things with SP, 
but that specific, my idea was to enhance your health before you got to that stage. Yeah, yeah. So then who do you foresee as the ideal client, the ideal scenario? Because uh, well, we're a culture that very often is focused on how do I fix this problem? How do I fix this problem? And yeah. we're kind of, I love the aspect of dipping into, let's call it preventative maintenance. Yes. Well, I'll have to let you know how it is, because as soon as I go home, I'm actually going to promote it through some presentations and things like that. And I know the people in my area are definitely the kind of people that want to eat organic. They do this, you know, they're, they're looking after the body, they exercise, all that kind of stuff. And so I'm, I think I have a pretty good market for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you say most of us don't do anything until something happens, which I I was doing, but I obviously wasn't doing what it was needed at the time, whatever. Uh, and you know what? Uh, as you do, your body does, there is a reality in, in our reality at the moment. It could be very different another 20 years or 50 years, right? And our longevity has grown a lot over the years. You know, in the Middle Ages, we weren't living that long. Now we're living much longer. And I think that can actually be totally enhanced more and more as we get better at feeding ourselves and living healthier. Yeah. Or even to fold that into the process when the client again is coming in for, I want to change this habit. I want to let go of this issue to again, bring everything up along that journey as well. Yes. That's the way, you know, that, you know, you know me that well, I've always wanted to work from that end. I always did. When people came in for smoking, I wouldn't just say, well, yeah, I'll help you stop smoking. I, I always said to them, I'll work with you if you're wanting to work on all the things that cause you to start smoking, you know, mm-hmm. all the things that are interesting. Yeah. All the stuff that's in me, the emotional work, all the other stuff, because I really don't think it's bad. I've had people come for smoking. If you took the smoking away from them, they would probably just do something worse. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious to ask the question then of there's a concept that you've really flourished within that maybe you haven't yet thought about the fact that you flourished within that the hypnotist who would hire additional staff. Sometimes it's what we'd call that superhero syndrome that no one else can do it as me. Uh, so they'd often stall in their success. They hit a specific ceiling that they're not comfortable enough bringing on another person as a hypnotist on their staff. Or specifically, here you are with a protocol with your name in it, uh, and now other people are training it for you. So I was yeah, curious on, on thoughts of what was yeah. that growth? Oh, the growth was, well, I, I, you know, as I started, it was in the States. So it was, uh, um, but I now have two trainers in the States and I'm definitely maybe adding a third. Um, but I now have one in Germany and, well, you know, Steen, you've met him before. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have Steen and then we have a, a Dutch trainer that's just in process and, a Flemish one in my own home country. They were yeah. born in Belgium and there. So uh, so now we're and the French one today or next this weekend and Portuguese one. So we're really going, uh, I mean, it wouldn't make much sense for me to teach in those countries, would it? Because I can't speak the language. <laughs> Some of them I can speak bits of language, but not <laughs> enough. And actually there's, it's just about impossible and I do realize, and I, I'll say this about uh, many of the greats in hypnosis that have passed on, um, 
I've, I think what we, we hang on so dearly to what we've created or whatever that we don't let go early enough for it to continue well. Hmm. Does that make sense? That does. Yeah. And uh, it's not easy because your ego gets a little caught up in it and everything, but you know, uh, they come out with good ideas and, and, and you actually do much better when you're not by yourself. There's in, I came from background working in nonprofit arts and, you know, on the arts administration side, there's a very common conversation around what's called founder syndrome, that uh, when the company is still being run by the person who founded it, whether it's a museum, whether it's a theater, whether it's whatever it might be, that it still sticks with it. And it's from a place of passion, of course, that this is where it started. This is what it's going to be. But sometimes that was the kiss of death where I, I can reference there's a theater company that I worked with that went out of business. And simply put, they were still running the theater the way that it was run in the 1980s. And it was 2004 at the time. So it was time for things to begin to move on. And Sometimes it's that place where the students, the not just the naming of the protocol, but the students take oh. it in a whole nother direction. And you as the founder are realizing, oh, wait, it can do that, too. Yeah, it's been great for that. And it's and I've also been lucky to that uh, a couple of years ago. I don't know. I got into a, a, a relationship and luckily for me, he's been awesome. He's been my marketer. He's been my video guy. He's been everything and everything. And, it, and it's really helped a lot. And he helps me get out of my box too. So the more people that I talk with, the more people I train, the more they, I ask them all to go out and experiment, have a time, just keep me posted on what's happening, you know? <laughs> and so um, SP's really, really actually evolved a lot probably since, Last time I trained there, it's maybe not hugely, but there's, you know, subtle changes in little things uh, more than anything. And really, some of the crazy things I've done now that some people would think was absolutely insane. I remember in uh, the Canadian hypnosis uh, convention, I only had an hour and uh, because of everything that was happening, I think I only had 45 minutes to do a demo. And of course, I really was going through it and the guy was doing awesome. And I said, there was running out of time. I had about three minutes I could keep going. And I said, super conscious mind, can you go to the morphic field of my manual and do the rest of the questions? <laughs> so, and it said, yes. And when I, and, and then it said it was finished and I checked and everything was done. And the person was happy as hell. And the, went, the people in the audience thought, what the heck? Mm -hmm. They were really but, you know, you get in so much trust with it eventually that uh, you know it isn't you doing anything. Well, it's helping so, that client get to that place where, again, it's they can do the work for themselves. Yes. Yeah. It's so good. But, I mean, you know, there's lots of times, you know, you'll start to ask questions. And I, I don't know. I think the more and more people are doing it, the easier it becomes, of course. And then uh, – you start to ask questions, you haven't even got the first two words out and you're already getting answers. Mm -hmm. That's you know, one of those aspects that, again, for those people that aren't yet familiar with this, um, with this protocol, um, at times you're letting the fingers designate a yes response and a no response. Yeah. And inside of it, as you continue that work, and this is something that I saw you do, and it's worked its way into other work that I do sometimes too, where 
the deeper they go into that experience, the more muted those gestures often would become. And it's really from my side of things out of necessity that then I'm placing the hand on top of theirs and feeling the actual gestures rather than watching them. And it's again, that place where they're already ahead of you. They're already resolving things. You cannot, you can't talk fast enough. I mean, uh, the mind works much, much faster than we can ever talk. So. Which I think I can reference back to the experience where uh, I was doing a training with Melissa Tears, and yeah. she demonstrated something. And someone goes, "Well, you need, do you need to work on all of the other subsequent events? Do you need to work on all the associated events?" And she's then mapping out on a piece of paper or the um, dry erase board how generalization works. And I think I can credit her with the mindset that I use in my work now of, well, we can often talk about the medical world would talk about a generalized anxiety, a generalized fear. I worked with a client that I think had been labeled as having a generalized pain disorder. And the opposite statement is we can generalize the hell out of a good thing too. It's true. I don't know. Melissa's pretty smart. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so then uh, what's what's kind of your pattern these days? Are you working with clients with this? Are you more on the training side? Um, both. I'm still doing both. I mean, I seem to go like this has been a two-month excursion for training. And then I'll go home and I'll work with clients because when I'm around, they I get clients. Um, but then so I'm, I'm trying to keep a balance to it. Because I think if you're training that you should keep in good form with client work because it'll change. You can't evolve anything if you're not working at it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know. And I think that you notice that sometimes. I mean, mean, Jerry Kine used to say, well, uh, something changes happen one funeral to the next. And the only way you can avoid that is by uh, doing experimenting and by doing more work all the time and staying current. Yeah, just keeping it fresh and getting that feedback along the way that one of the things that you you labeled it, I think you also gave the reframe of it of at one point being the lazy hypnotist, but then the efficient hypnotist, right? (laughs) Well, one's the Canadian version and one's, you know, a little more American. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's that concept of, it's that concept of sanding away the things that you know, we often, as we get into hypnosis, we're doing a lot of extra things in the process, which may just be there because, well, that's where our, what our instructor told us. Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, once you sort of understand the concept of how the mind is starting to work, or at least our, our perception of that at the time now, is uh, that you can start to at least think out of the box a little and start moving around and and shifting things. And we've been very lucky. Like you say, you're, you know, you've been talking to Melissa, we've been talking, there's a lot of good people out there Mm -hmm. doing good work this right now. And I'm really astounded. I think it's great because we're moving forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. So then what inside of just the hypnosis world or personal change world is what's exciting you at this point? I, I'm, I think I'm getting more and more to the place where I'm getting out of the way more and more so the client can do the work even more. Uh, It's, um, you know, I I have students sometimes that ask me and they say, well, why can't you just say super conscious mind fix this person? (laughs) (laughs) I said, well, you can, 
uh, won't work too well because I said you're still dealing with a conscious person. Yeah. And the conscious person has beliefs and has uh, things that work. And, you know, super conscious could probably do that if it was ideal that we believed everything and we're open to everything. But it's not how it works. So you have to have a really good balance. But I think the more you learn to stay out of the way of the client, the more they're allowed to open up. Well, that brings about a theme that I don't think has ever actually been discussed here on this program, that there's an aspect of the hypnotic experience that we have to satisfy the conscious mind as much as we're satisfying the subconscious mind or even superconscious mind. Yes, I agree with that totally. But that's why you have to have a find a balance of uh, if the client doesn't understand or doesn't have enough knowledge of what it is, they will actually rationalize something out and won't work any longer and it won't be there anymore or they'll they'll just won't believe it happened and all those things so you have to take the conscious into account all the time so just to pull some action steps out of this or even some strategies are there things that you can label that you're doing in your process working with clients to bring in that conscious satisfaction well, I mean, I, I usually ask for knowledge to be given to the person, the mind to give it to you in whatever way is appropriate for you. I mean, it seems so simple, but um, just that simple phrasing of not saying, can you tell them what they what they have to know? It's what's appropriate for them to know and what would be beneficial for them to know. And right? it's where that inside of the process and this has been, while I at times will do the Simpson protocol, like any good hypnosis training, like any good training in any field, we're pulling out these little elements here and there where appropriate, where even where I might not be using your exact system, there's times where, and as you've done that for yourself, and you can validate to the conscious mind that that's complete, you know, in that case, if I haven't set up the finger response signals, then it's just simply nod your head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's all kinds of stuff. But uh, I think we're getting more and more into the Simpson protocol now that the client um, really has gets to the stage where they totally trust their finger movements, most of them, right? Mm -hmm. If they're yes or no, because sometimes they're not what they're thinking in their conscious mind, right? It's opposite. Uh, so once that starts to happen and they get better and better at it, you can actually, the movement of the fingers, I've gotten a little better at gauging it so that they stay up better. Um, I think sometimes if you install the, um, the fingers a little too late when they're going in the deepening process, uh, better to install them when they're in somnambulism sort of maybe a little higher than you would normally. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I gauge this on a one-to-one -one basis. So it's, but I've gotten better at that and realize that if I, if I install them earlier, yes, they diminish, but they don't diminish all the way down to nothing. <laughs> yeah. So I think I've just gotten a little better at doing that. And I think the students, uh, you know, every time you practice, I learn more. So every time I teach, I learn more. So I don't know. It's just a, a continuing evolution of how you work. And the same with the students. I, I mean, the ones that have been doing it now for three or four years that I meet in Europe, uh, they're doing some great work and they've gone a little bit this way and a little bit that way. And it's slightly different and, you know, but they're all doing es essentially Simpson protocol. And 
what I like about it is that they're very um, interactive with the other people that are doing the process too. And they actually teach each other stuff, which is great. I love that. So let's pivot away from the protocol for a moment and let's just talk about different, you know, our labels of different states of hypnosis. And mm-hmm. it's the conversation of somnambulism to Esdale and then anything and everything related in between. Yeah. Um, surprisingly, uh, to rewind back this uh, series that I've been doing now over the years, um, there's an interesting conversation where I had uh, Ross Jeffries on this podcast, who's most often known of uh, the guy behind a lot of seduction work in pulling in NLP and hypnosis. And if you haven't heard the part two of that recording, uh, basically, then he then turns around and interviews me because he just wanted to ask a bunch of questions about somnambulism and also the Esdale state. So uh-huh. there's a question that he brought up there that I wanted to bring up to you, which is... Yeah. Do you believe, and this is possibly getting into dangerous territory, just simply getting into this hypnotic level, does that itself have healing properties? And yes, the word healing is a dangerous, uh, multi-pronged word. So reframe it, modify it uh, in any ways that you would see appropriate. Okay. So whenever you go into deep rest, your body has a way of getting in a better place, right? It, 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 It needs... We talk self-healing. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about healing. We're talking about self-healing. And yes, the body does uh, enter states where um, if you're in REM or if you're this way, I don't know a lot about those sort of things. But I do know that the deeper you are in hypnosis, the more um, easier it becomes. So that means technically if you are in Asdale, yes, you are getting more rest because you are deeper and your conscious is always present, which is a lot of people don't ever think about that, but they are. The conscious is totally present. And it is so in such a good place that it doesn't care what's happening around it unless it was mo- you know, motivating enough to come out, like if it was a fire or if there was something going on, because they're always totally. And then, of course, and then we also know that there's other – states that were, were considered much deeper than the, even Esdale. But, you know, depth is sort of one of those things we talk about, and I don't really know what depth is. So I know that for Esdale, if you tested for this, these people would have natural anesthesia or analgesia, right? And that's all I know. It doesn't mean I don't know what deep is. I, I could be sideways. And I think many times it's just once you've hit some nambulism, it's more about doorways that you go through and maybe Esdale but from Esdale I think it's more like a doorway you go through it's just a different aspect of your mind that you're tapping into so then inside of that process and I mean it's where there's specifically I'm trying to remember the exact timing of it I think it was something from PubMed um, you know uh, National Institute of Health that I think was like from the early 2000s maybe 2003 2004 and it just brings to reference uh, a client who was here one time who is an acupuncturist. And yeah. what she brought up was that, well, okay, let's take for a moment and assume appears a person who has absolutely no, no belief system for Chinese medicine, no belief system for a meridian system of the body, no belief in terms of energy, which, well, everything is energy in some form. But she goes, yeah. needles into the skin, needles removed, 
there is a measurable endorphin release and here's the effect that just simply that part has. You know, whether it, and she brought up even massage that at times yeah. massage can be very specific to a localized discomfort, but just the action of it and what that does, here's that benefit. So I think that's something that is worth bringing into the conversation about hypnosis that just achieving the state has some result in the body too. I agree. And I, and I think just going into hypnosis, if you did nothing else, I know for the first year, um, I did hypnosis. I did self-hypnosis every day. And in that time, I had chronic pain all my life by that year. Now, that was about specifically working on it. I was more using it like a meditation, if anything, at the beginning. And within that year, the pain disappeared. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of my psychologist friends said, um, well, I think you're just in denial. I kind of laughed and I said, well, hallelujah, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I don't know what it is, but uh, if I'm in denial or what, but I know that my body's comfortable. (laughs) Which brings to mind, this is a story of a client who was here in the office and I had worked with this woman recently and the original issue she came in with, uh, we had done the route of, uh, you know, sending the letter over to the doctor, the doctor signed off, she came into the office and fast forward the story, it's maybe two years later. And she's in working on something else, which was just more of a little habit that popped up. So we didn't do the uh, didn't do the bureaucratic hoops once again, to, to say it politely. Uh, and she mentions, Oh, by the way, um, did you need to contact the doctor? But I switched doctors, by the way. And, and she told a story where and yes, this is anecdotal. She she told a story where the doctor that she switched to rebalanced some medications and gave her something new. Uh, she's immediately feeling better. And she's then on WebMD and she's looking and the statement was, oh, but wait a minute. I'm feeling so much better right away. But the medications description says it takes about two weeks for it to take effect. So she goes, so I called my doctor, you're ahead of me. She goes, I call my doctor and say, is this okay? And the doctor responds, apparently, I'll censor it so we can keep the clean rating on this session. Do you blanking care? You're having a good day. Enjoy it. To which when she told me the story, immediately had to go, please introduce me to this doctor. Yes. (laughs) And we then had lunch and had a great conversation and, um, So it's that place where, again, we can get to that moment where there's just this natural effect of just let's just label it stress response of stress and relaxation response. And it's funny how we always have to have some kind of thing that says this is what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, I've gotten to the stage where I really don't care what it is anymore. I'm just walking comfortable. I'm this, I'm that. Whatever it is to me, it's just fine. (laughs) My analytical mind has, I think it has really jumped ship. (laughs) Which is a good thing in this situation. (laughs) Very much so, yeah. So then to to bring it back to that original question, then you'd say, yes, there are just, and yes, yes, the word healing is a dangerous word to often bring in, but there are some healing properties just of getting into that state. I think there are, there's self-healing properties to it. How's that? Does that sound safe to you? I like that. (laughs) I like that, uh, which again. And from- I actually think that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Totally the truth is I think if you, the more often, even if you just did self-hypnosis every day, 
and you didn't even work on anything specific, you would continue to improve your life every day. Which again, to bring it full circle back to about 20 minutes ago, we can generalize the hell out of a good thing too. Yes. Yeah. Very much. So then uh, what's the next phase of all of this? Where do you see it all uh, moving forward? And that can be in terms of the protocol, that can be in terms of hypnosis uh, continuing this outstanding renaissance that we're inside of right now. Well, for obviously for, for me, you know what, I'm not very, um, I don't see ahead much and I don't, I don't know, it's not maybe part of being visual, <laughs> I'm not sure, not exactly visual, but I, for me, it's more about suddenly something will strike me in the moment and, and it'll, it'll suddenly change everything. So it's hard for me to say, well, this is where I'm headed or this is what I'm doing because I haven't got a clue. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, and I don't mean it in a bad way that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at what I do, but it'll be in that moment and I'll catch it. And I can't do that without it being there. So I have no concept really. And yes, I'm very happy with the Renaissance. and I'm happy with all the people doing things. It's just really astounding. And, and you know, <laughs> coming from a regression to cause background, as I did, I was trained by Jerry Kine, as you know, and then... But from all that, and they've never found any kind of hypnosis that was bad. Mm -hmm. All this warring that we do within ourselves, oh, I'm Ericksonian, I'm this and that. We're all hypnotists and we're all doing good work. And i that's what I like. And I like that the field is starting to even out a little bit with each other. We're all just talking to each other, which allows creativity to spring out. And all those things. I mean, Melissa and I are very different in how we work, but we're sort of... Uh, we always really respect each other. We like each other. We know, you know, we're sort of a mutual um, admiration society, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the way it should be. And that's what I like about where hypnosis is going. Thanks for listening to the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast at worksmarthypnosis.com.